Today on the SSPX podcast, a special presentation. We're happy to present in full the talk given by the Superior General of the Society of St. Pius X, Don Davide Pagliarani, from last year's Angelus Press Conference. His talk was titled, Christ as Teacher, His Example for Families. We're presenting it on the podcast here for free. We've just announced the title and the theme for this year's conference taking place on October 11th through the 13th in Kansas City, Missouri. The title is Rebuilding the City of God in the Age of Modernity. And you can pre-order your tickets now at angelospress.org. You'll have all kinds of opportunities in the future to find out more about the speakers and who is going to be attending and all sorts of other details. But for now, we invite you to check out angelospress.org and learn more about this upcoming conference. But for now, let's join the Superior General of the Society of St. Pius X, Don Davide Pagliarani, with his lecture, Christ as Teacher, His Example for Families, here on the SSPX Podcast. I'm very glad to see this uh, great participation this year to the Angelus Press Conference, and I'm very glad to address uh, you a few words about our Lord. Our Lord as a teacher, our Lord as an example for families. We will focus especially on paternity. We will see what does it mean to be a father, to generate. In relation to the past, in relation to the future, in relation to the present. And we will see how our Lord is an example. We will see how our Lord is an example as a teacher, because our Lord taught the apostles, and every father is a teacher for, the, for his children. And we will see also how our Lord corrected the apostles. And this is also the duty for every father of a family. And then, of course, we will spend a few words about the current situation in the church. Um, but first of all, before we enter uh, into this, uh, this consideration about paternity, we need to grasp the example of our Lord as a child, as a son. He's a perfect example of obedience to his eternal father and to his parents on earth. And obedience is the key to understand the personality of our Lord. All his life, all his work, all his mission is a work of obedience. He came into this world to do the will of the Father. He had only this idea to perform this work. And this is extremely important for us, first of all, to stress this point, because you cannot be a teacher if you are not learned, 
You cannot give orders if you are not obedient. And in our Lord, there is this perfect unity. On the one hand, is perfect obedience. And on the other hand, the foundation of the church. Founding the church, our Lord is a king, is a ruler, is a master. In the same work, is perfectly obedient. And we would say, perfectly king, fully king. And uh, we can uh, draw this first conclusion. A great work is always built on obedience. A great man is always built, coming from obedience, is formed through obedience. Because through obedience, each one of us is able to enter into a bigger order, an order established before we came. This is the first example of our Lord, and we will see later how this is so important for a father. A father is not coming from nothing. A father is himself a son. Is coming, he received something, an heritage, which is supposed to pass on to somebody else, to his children. And also, a short consideration, but we cannot skip this uh, example because it is St. Paul himself that is. Uh, using this beautiful image of our Lord as a spouse. Our Lord is the groom and the church is the, the bride of our Lord. Of course, uh, this is a mystical image, but extremely meaningful and deep. I would say in this image is uh, hidden, is revealed the definition of a husband love, of a Catholic husband love. The work of the life, the work of his life for husband actually is the sanctification of his bride. He puts all his efforts there, as well as our Lord put all his efforts sanctifying the church. You know very well the, this quotation of St. Paul's in, in the epistle to the Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her to sanctify her, cleansing her by the bath of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in splendor, 
without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So also husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So, the moral beauty of his spouse is the, is the main reason, the main purpose, the main desire for a, for a good husband, is moral beauty. But let's come now to fatherhood. And uh, before we take into account different examples of our Lord as a father for fathers, it's good for us to step aside for a moment and to take into account the anti-gospel because we are going to quote the gospel, but in order to, un to understand fully the crisis of fatherhood nowadays, we need to grasp where this crisis is from. It is a consequence, to simplify a little, it is a consequence of the creation of human rights. I call this the anti-gospel. And I will explain you why. Let's just take the first two articles that you know very well. All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. Apparently it's very nice. Second article, everyone is entitled to all the rights and freedoms set forth in this declaration without distinction of any kind, such as race, color, sex, language, religion, political or other opinion, national or social origin, property, birth, and other status. Furthermore, no distinction shall be made on the basis of the political, jurisdictional, or international status of the country or territory to which a person belongs, and so on. You know, uh, you know the development. Why we can call this declaration the anti-gospel? Because. Uh, in this declaration, the new definition of a human being is limited to a list of rights. But in this way, there is no space anymore for any mission. There is no space anymore for a responsibility. Human beings are all equals and they all have the same rights. That's all. Who 
who are the ones that they have only rights and they don't they don't have any responsibility. I simplify a little bit. Now the babies, the babies they have only rights. Rights to be nourished, to be fostered, to be cleaned, to be protected, to be educated, to be taught. A baby and the child has no responsibilities, not yet. And that's why they have only rights. Somebody else has to take care of them fully and all the time. In this way, this declaration, little by little, transform mankind all human beings in, uh, say, like children. They have, only, they have only rights and there is no space for mission. There is no space for responsibility. There is no space for fatherhood. The crisis of fatherhood, this uh, very difficult uh, um situation this uh, tendency to procrastinate as much as possible marriage responsibility big important choices are a result of this declaration that made uh the world uh, Globally, uh, <laughs> eternal children, all mankind, all human beings, eternal children. And in this way, the society became a kind of mother. But be careful, a mother like for animals. The society is there to grant protection, to grant food, to grant security, like the animals they do, especially the mothers, among the lions, among the bears, the mothers protect the children. In this context, a father, as we stressed, has not anymore an educational place. He's there just to grant also the rights of his children, to give guarantees. He's there to foster them. And since he has not anymore this educational function, mission, he will be tempted to conquer the affection of the children by other means. And not fulfilling his mission. Well, let's go now to our, to our Lord and uh, 
to our consideration about fatherhood. First of all, what does it mean to be a, the begetter? Because the father generates the son. And he's supposed to prepare him to become an adult, to deal with the world, and to confront with the world. First of all, the first condition is the relation to the past, with the past. In order to fulfill a mission, a father, like every human being, needs to know where he's from. He's supposed to pass on what he received, his heritage. He's from a family, he's from a country, he's from a faith. All these reasons are there. And behind a child, there is a desire. The child is desired, is wanted. It's not a fruit of chance, it's a fruit of love. Behind the child, there is this uh, heritage, there is this moral world that a father is supposed, again, to know and to pass on. A child is a heir. He's born having already his right to this inheritance. And this inheritance, of course, is first of all moral. This is important to stress in this point. Generation is not only physical, generation is moral. To, to beget, to generate, means to pass on, first of all, our faith and all the consequences of our faith. It's not just an idea. This idea uh, is incarnated in the life of the Father. Faith is supposed to transform the life of a man. And this is what a father is supposed not only to teach, but to pass on fully. And in this way, in this perspective, a father knows already the goal and there is an order, there is a stability in his family because he knows since the very beginning the nature of his mission. Our Lord, of course in a moral sense, our Lord acted exactly in the same way. How many times he stressed in the gospel that his doctrine was not his, but was the doctrine of the Father, the one who sent him. My doctrine is not mine, but of him who sent me. 
again, we find again, we find again here this uh, double uh, function of our Lord in the same and unique work, a work of obedience, a work of fidelity, and at the same time, the work of a master, the work of a king. Do not think I came to destroy the law. I didn't came to destroy, but to fulfill. It's very deep. And uh, relation to the past, relation to the future. What can uh, say about this? A father as an educational role, a bit different from the role of the mother. A mother is very close, especially at the beginning. But the relationship of the mother is not exactly the same. A, much, a mother is much closer to a baby than a father. She's at home all the time. She's with the children. She can understand uh, the baby immediately without any, any problem, any hesitation. She can protect the child from the dangers, the cold, the heat, whatever could harm the life, the health of the child. The father is working outside. The father knows much more the world. And the father knows much more than the mother how to deal with the world. That's why in the, in the educational role, in his educational role, the father will prepare, is enabled much more than the mother to prepare the son to face the world, to introduce gradually the son to social life, to deal with others, and of course, to warn about moral dangers, social dangers. At the same time, this is quite delicate because this warning about dangers has to be done encouraging because we need to face the world. So at the same time, we need to strengthen, to fortify, to encourage and to warn. And this balance is quite delicate. What about our Lord? He prepared the apostles on this point. He warned them several times. The disciple is not more than the master. They will persecute you because they don't know the Father. 
because they persecuted me first. They didn't know me. So they will persecute you also. Be simple as doves and wise like serpents. I'm sending you like sheep in the middle of wolves. It's quite strong. Realistic. At the same time, it was so encouraging. Be confident. I won the world. I will be with you until the end of time. You will be betrayed. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Of course, we could uh, find a lot of quotations in the gospel showing this perfect balance in our Lord. He's realistic. He's preparing his apostles progressively, more and more. And at the same time, he's encouraging them. They will win. He will stay with them. He will protect them. It's a beautiful example for a father to be balanced, to be balanced. We need to win the world. A son has to, pre to be prepared and encouraged to face the world and to win the world. So, relation to the past, relation to the future, relation to the present. What uh, a father of a family is supposed to do now, not only teaching, but beside teaching, beside warning and encouraging, of course, is the example. Is the example. The example of a father is there, needs to be there to provoke admiration. A son, a daughter, they need to admire their father. The more they admire, the more they trust. And the more, the more they want to, they are willing to imitate. You see, sometimes in the behavior of a father, there is uh, again this danger to act according to the affection he can get, begging a kind of affection. This is not the right way for a father to behave. A father has to offer, he's supposed to offer an example regardless of the affection. His example will always get the admiration and the desire to imitate him. Of course, we should quote the all gospel. I choose uh, only one, uh, one sentence, one uh, quotation of our Lord. He started his preaching 
on the Mount uh, of Beatitudes, preaching about poverty, talking about poverty. And of course, he gave the perfect example of poverty. He needs a birth in the crib, in his infancy. His mother was poor. His father was a carpenter. He lived in poverty and he died on the cross in poverty. What he stated about himself, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has not where to lay his head. Beautiful, beautiful example. It's authentic. You know, what about the teaching? What can we say about the way our Lord taught? We have a lot of teaching in the gospel, parables, examples, moral teaching, warning. First of all, we, uh, we face quite often a problem when we talk about teaching. We have the impression that we are supposed to choose about stressing the authority or stressing the rights of the children to understand. On the one hand, uh, we need to stress the authority regardless of emotions, of consequences. And we, we fear that that's going to provoke a distance. There is no relationship between the teacher and uh, the pupil, and so between the father and the son. Or on the other hand, a different method, a different tendency, everything has to be put at the child level. So, very well what I'm talking about, this uh, tendency, this method to reduce everything at the reach of the child. So everything has to be small, making it easily easy for the child. And most of all, the child has to discover by himself. There is not an authority supposed to impose anything to the intellect of the child. He has to discover, discover little by little. So there is no authority. You want to be very close, yes, but there is no authority in this case. You cannot teach anything. You cannot, you cannot let the child discover by himself this moral world. He is a heir of this moral world is from because of the generation. So what can we say? As a principle, fatherhood on earth is the reverb of God's paternity. 
as we said, a father has not the same intimacy of a mother. A certain distance is necessary to show that the principle of his authorities is transcendental, is coming from God. There is a power in his authority. A child needs to feel this power. At the same time, of course, he needs to feel the meekness. I would say also the complicity of his father. It's quite difficult to keep this the right measure. Again, the example of our Lord on this point is very meaningful. In general, our Lord is extremely simple, accessible, clear. The parables, you know, the parables. They are extremely deep in their meaning and simple. The parable of the Good Shepherd is a beautiful image chosen by our Lord, the Good Shepherd. The other example, example of the... the uh, hiring two different attitudes. The first one loves his sheep, gives his life for his sheep. The second doesn't care about them. He cares about his own life. The door, the gate, the good sheep, the good shepherd is watching the gate. No one can enter, no enemy, no danger. The sheep can stay at peace, can rest. Very accessible image. And another, very familiar also. And we have other examples. Sometimes our Lord is difficult. It was not understood fully. He knew that. Nicodemus, Nicodemus, uh, I told him, uh, need to be born a second time. How can I do that? How can I go back into the womb of my mother? You are a master in Israel and you don't understand this. You don't say, you don't know this. That was quite difficult to understand. Again, to the Samaritan woman. You know very well, uh, remember this dialogue, long dialogue. I have a special water. I can give you a water, such a water that you don't need any more to come here. You will not thirst again. Thirst again. Give me of some water, this water. I want this water immediately. It was not understandable. Oh, again, again, another example. Uh, if you don't uh, eat my flesh, if you don't drink my blood, you can have, you cannot have uh, everlasting life. That was not understandable. 
why why our lord is uh, using also these expressions is demanding faith is demanding faith he wants faith he's stressing his authority and since he can preach talk with authority he wants the faith of uh, of Nicodemus of the Samaritan woman of each one of us which conclusion can you can we draw out a father cannot explain everything each time to his son like to a friend to a companion He has to be close, extremely close. And at the same time, as we said, in his way of teaching, in his way of dealing with the children, he is the reverb on earth of a transcendental authority coming from God. To summarize, in our Lord, there is, first of all, this patience. It takes his time talking to the Samaritan woman, to Nicodemus, preaching to the crowds. Patience and graduality, step by step. He didn't preach the gospel in one week. He preached the gospel during three years. And he let the, the, the apostles accomplish his preaching. And even the apostles, they didn't receive from our Lord all they were supposed to know. Our Lord wanted to teach them also, even them, gradually. I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot be at them now. The Holy Ghost will reveal them to you. Graduality and patience, they go together. So Peter also, during the Last Supper, St. Peter, wanted to stop our Lord to wash his feet. What I'm doing now, Peter, you cannot understand. You will understand later. Graduality and patience. It is at the same time, the awareness that he's teaching could be refused. This is the this is a trial, a trial for many fathers of family. The truth has to be taught gradually with patience, aware that it could be refused. The children they remain free. 
That's why education is art of arts. It's called art of arts. They have to, to accept the truth. And they have to make the truth their truth, their life. Again, here on this particular point, very, very delicate point, again, the enemy of education, this attitude which is not helping the children to accept the teaching, to accept the truth, is the desire to conquer their affection in a wrong manner. Because if the, if the main desire is to conquer their affection, a father will lose his freedom in teaching. Hiding or avoiding whatever may be hard to explain. And most of all, our Lord gives us a beautiful example during the Last Supper again, when he reveals that the teaching, the teaching of the truth, the predication, the, the preaching of the gospel, the revelation of the gospel, is presented as the most beautiful and significant, significant expression of love. From now on, I will not call you my servants, my, my friends. You are my friends. Because a servant doesn't know what the master is thinking. But a friend knows everything. I have no secret for you. We find here love, complicity between father and son. This good, real affection between father and son as a mean to pass on the teaching, to pass on the truth. Every teaching, if there is love, becomes easier, is supported by love. Beautiful example of our Lord. And uh, the last point, a delicate one, the correction. How to correct the children? Did our Lord correct the apostles several times? Is there an example for fathers of families? Of course, there are several. I choose one of them. Is the correction of uh, John and, and James. You know very, very well the request of John and James. They knew they were among the beloved apostles, but the problem is there were three. Peter was there also. 
So they had to occupy the first and the second place. They called the armada with a big, a little plot. They called their mother in order to talk in their name to our Lord. We can read the gospel. It's a beautiful page which contains a beautiful lesson for every father and family. And we'll make a little short commentary. Then the mother of the son of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's a long quotation, but I think it was is worthwhile. So meaningful, so, so majestic. Our Lord is so majestic. Facing a quite shameful attitude what can uh, what can we say about this uh, page of the gospel? Because he corrects the apostles. First of all, he made them talk through their mother. He made them talk. Come, what do you want? Tell me. He made them talk while he knew perfectly the request the little plot, patience and wisdom. Our Lord takes his time. He's listening first. He's pushing them, he's pushing the apostles to open themselves. This is, uh, I think, the first lesson. Um, it corresponds to a human need to be listened, even if they are wrong. A child also needs time. If we know perfectly what's going on, we know uh, the nature of the problem, uh, 
uh, of the situation, whatever it is, he needs time, he needs to be listened. But there is more than that. Our Lord provoked a kind of confession because what the what the, the true apostles were asking for was shameful. And that's why they asked their mother to do that for them first. He wanted this confession, which corresponds to a moral need to show openly a defect, a wound, in order to be healed. If we don't acknowledge first our defects, we cannot be healed. And that's why our Lord acted this way. Gradually, is uh, helping the true apostles to understand that they are wrong and they, they cannot, they cannot uh, think this way. It cannot work. It, 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 can, it, it cannot work. And in his answer, our Lord doesn't say no, in all simplicity, straight, no. With great meekness, is, uh, he prefers to ask something. He is introducing a new, a new topic useful for the two apostles and for all the twelve. So it takes the first, uh, it takes first the advantage of the situation to encourage the apostle to accept, to share his sufferings with one question. He's changing completely the topic and the, pers the perspective. Can you drink my cup? Can you share my passion? Yes, we can. And they were sincere. They loved our Lord. Their love were not, was not uh, perfect, but it was sincere. We can and we want drink your cup. So in this way, our Lord encouraged them to share his passion, his suffering, great wisdom. He draws out something good from a request went shameful. And then he goes deeper and deeper in the same direction. The first place is not is for the ones who will merit it and the Father will assign it to them. In other terms, don't think about it now. God the Father will reward you according to your works, to your commitment, to your sacrifice. Don't think about that now. And then the great lesson of this page 
with two examples. Look first uh, at the rulers, the kings of this world. They dominate, they crash, they don't care about their subjects. That's not to be like that among you. The one who wants really to be the first is to be the last one, is to be the servant, like the son of man, like the example I'm giving you. I came into this world in order to give my life as a ransom for many. Two examples, opposite. The kings of this world and our Lord as a king, as a redeemer. Patience, meekness, time. Of course, uh, after this, reading this page, we are touched by this attitude of our Lord. Through his meekness, he's uh, imposing his example. We have not to enter each time a child, a son, has a particular request, an insignificant, a wrong need, you have not to discuss immediately at the same level. No. We need to bring the conversation on another level. We need to, to uh, draw out another conclusion on another level. But we need to take advantage as much as possible all these kind of occasions to teach something different, which doesn't correspond to the former request. Pushing always towards the practice of virtues and giving the example first. Beautiful lesson for every every father, every father of a family. I beg your pardon, this talk was a, a bit long, but I think it's important for us also to spend a few words and considerations about the last events in the church. This synod, you know that here right now there is a synod in Rome which will uh, end on the 29th of this month. We don't know what's going on during the synod. We wait, we prefer to wait to know the result, the final result. Nevertheless, we know well how it was prepared. Certainly, a great attention is paid 
to the LGBTQ plus uh, issues agenda. And this attention becomes uh, a kind of obsession. Why? I think it's the occasion to understand why. There is a logic and there is a reason that we need to grasp. The modern hierarchy in the church accepted and adopted the modern definition of human beings based on human rights, according to human rights. And through this way, sooner or later, more or less, step by step, they are obliged to include everything. That's the problem. I give you two examples to show you how this uh, new mentality is penetrating into the church. The first one is the question of the same-sex marriage. Can, can a same-sex marriage be blessed? No. So far, no. It's clear. Nevertheless, love is love. There is something good, even in that kind of relationship. And this uh, love has to be appreciated. And so they can be blessed. Why not? They are questioning about this. They're wondering. A second example. The door of the church is open to everybody. Now they're stressing a lot this point. Everybody is welcome into the church, which is true, which is good, but you enter into the church through a conversion. You need to accept the faith of the church and the moral rules of the church. This is a conversion. The perspective is not the same. When nowadays they say everybody is welcome, they don't mean necessarily through a conversion. I quote, I let you guess who am I quoting. It is silly and superficial to oblige people to a behavior they are not mature for or not capable. It is silly and superficial to oblige people to observe the Ten Commandments when they are not mature for or they are not capable. I'm quoting. So we need 
a new sensitivity, a new pastoral sensitivity. In this way, everybody can come into the church, maybe can receive a blessing, can receive also the sacraments, because even if he doesn't observe the Ten Commandments, he, he shows a goodwill and he needs to be accompanied. But this is this is a big a big error, a big a big mistake. It is true that our understanding of the faith, our penetration of the faith is gradual. That's true. But we accept the faith entirely, even if we will understand deeper, little by little, throughout our life. But the acceptation of the Ten Commandments as such has to be total, entire, not gradual. No one can be admitted into the church if he is willing, able to observe only eight commandments. You see how this mentality, little by little, is destroying everything. Is destroying the teaching, is destroying the dogma, is destroying the morals. So, coming back to our synod, uh, we don't know the result, but keep ready to listen, to hear anything. Anything is possible at this stage. And it is interesting that this, the church now convoked a synod about synodality. It means a synod, a meeting of bishops to question the way the church is working, to question herself, to question the way she's teaching, she's uh, uh, running uh, the different uh, aspect of the church life. And uh, it reveals once again, this is synod, that the root of this crisis in the church is a crisis of authority. The great difference between this crisis and all the crises which preceded in the history of the church is this. This time, the authority, the head of the church is touched. 
And by consequence, and we will show this, this crisis of the authority is a crisis of paternity. This new way to teach is not anymore paternal. And we will see. We mentioned in our talk this necessity for every father to have a link with the past. You remember how many times our Lord, we stress this point, how many times our Lord stated, my doctrine is not mine, is of the one who sent me. I came to fulfill and not to destroy. Do they have this link with the past nowadays? Do they have this awareness that they need to be linked with tradition in continuity with tradition? No, no. Tradition is over. Tradition is overcome. Tradition is just a monument. The church is questioning herself right now from zero. And everything inside the church is questionable. But if everything is questionable, it means that the church lost her identity. And if you lose this link with the past, you don't know where you are from, and by consequence, you don't know where you have to go, where you have to lead souls, where you have to lead humanity. Second step, link with the future. Is there this uh, idea clear that the church is here on earth to lead people to heaven, to another life, starting right now on earth through the sacraments, that life, which is uh, the future, the future one. No, no. The preaching and the great concern of the hierarchy right now is not about eternity, it's not about heaven, it's not about, about the uh, vision of God, no. It is about this life, this earth, this world. It is about, I would say, a lot of politically correct topics, climate, ecology, migrants, in one word, the improvement of this life. Future is here, is not up there. The concern of the church is here on this world, 
the main one in any case. Again, the example of our Lord, he preached, but he confirmed everything through his example, as every father is supposed to do. This example is not necessary anymore. Why? Because virtue, mortification, self-denial, they are not needed anymore. The focus is not on eternal life that you need to get through the practice of virtues. No, the focus is on human rights. And as a consequence, the, the hierarchy has a kind of new mission is giving herself a kind of new mission to be the defender of human rights. The teaching, we said already. You remember again, our Lord is a master was extremely simple, approachable, and at the same time, always pushing soul's intellect of people towards supernatural, higher truth. Asking faith, provoking faith. Here, you know, you know better than I do. The, the, the teaching now is not focused anymore on supernatural goals. It is a consequence of what we said right before. There is not anymore this effort, this concern to push the intellect on transcendental truth. No. No. The effort is on this earth truth, this earth necessity, this life, and so on. And finally, the correction. Is the correction there? It is the worst consequence of this new mentality, of this lack of paternity, this, I would say, destruction of paternity. It seems that men now has the right to be forgiven without the duty to convert. And in this new, in this new perspective, in the, this new conception of mercy, God has the duty to forgive. 
But in reality, God doesn't forgive anymore. In reality, God simply, he exonerates. And that's not the same. Forgiveness follows a conversion. Forgiveness is the result of a change of life, of the beginning of a new life. To exonerate is something different, and especially there is not a new life. Your uh, fault is erased, but you don't know why. And this is typical, typical of a father who gave up of a father who is frustrated, of a father who is a, a loser. And we can, uh, we can observe that as well as the hierarchy gave up this mission and this duty to correct, to call to conversion, to change people, to change souls. Our Lord came into this world and he prepared his arrival through John the Baptist. What was the purpose of the, what was the mission of John the Baptist? It was to convert, to call to a new life because there is no faith. There is no our Lord. There is no gospel without conversion. Here is exactly the opposite. And uh, as well as this, this hierarchy gave up, the image of God they preach is the image of a God who gives up. And such a God is not a good father. He's not a father anymore. Because he doesn't call his children anymore to life. He leaves his children as they are. So we can say we find in the church exactly the same crisis of, of paternity which affects the modern families. It's terrible. What can we say as a conclusion? The conclusion of the conclusion. So, is there any solution? Of course, there is a solution. The solution is our Lord. The solution is the understanding of, the, of his example and of his paternity, of his patience. Through a true conversion, we can know our Lord, and most of all, we can imitate our Lord. We have to be aware that uh, before having rights, we have a duty, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility on others, on our children. But this responsibility is an honor 
it is at the same time a duty and an honor. Why? Because every paternity in heaven and on earth takes its name, its value from God. To be a father means to carry on the work of God means to receive straight from God a special mission on souls, on children. And that's what uh, uh, God is cherishing the most. There is not, in this perspective, there is not a more noble, higher, more beautiful and important mission. At the same time, we, it's not easy. We might feel that this mission is beyond our strength. It is, actually, beyond our strength. But, and this is the real conclusion, <laughs> since it is the shining, the reverb on earth, of God's paternity, it can work at any time. It will work at any time, until the end of time. We are sure of that. This uh, conclusion is based on our faith, on our hope, and on our charity. Thank you for your attention.